Hey, this is Ed Luther, pastor of City Church in Australia. I hope that today's podcast really inspires you. Thank you so much for listening. There's a lot of talk about the end times and a lot of talk on social media. I really don't follow much of it, but a lot of the discussions that I was involved with in the Philippines where people were saying, asking the same question, uh, is this the end? Is this the end of times? Is Jesus coming back? Is the world uh, going to roll up like a scroll and it's all going to be finished? Uh, is this the end times? And it really got me thinking, which is the title of, of this message, of uh, starting with or thinking with the end in mind, living rather with the end in mind, that every day we should live as if possibly it's our last. Uh, because regardless of whether Jesus comes back this week or this month or in the next 10 years or in your lifetime, uh, time is a construct that, that we measure our, our lives by. We can see chronologically we're getting older, we celebrate birthdays, we have calendar months and years, and, and we keep track of time. Um, but time is a, a very limited commodity. I remember when I was a young man, I remember watching... Uh, this this news, after the news broadcast, this th- medical doctor came on. And he had terminal cancer. He was self-diagnosed, and he said, look, uh, at the start of this, which wasn't aired until after he had passed away, he said, I have about six months to go. He says, I know that. And he said, but, and he said, I've got a terminal disease, but he said, so do you. He said, everybody watching, you're watching this, I'm already gone but every one of you has a limited lifespan. Lest we think that it goes on forever, it doesn't. And to live with the end in mind, I believe, is wisdom. Because none of us know whether Jesus comes back or not, I'm going to go meet him uh, in a very, very, very short time, because the years do fly by. And, and, and he said that uh, time... And as the time went on in the program, it's like he said, uh, I've got one week left to go. And then that was it, because he wanted to spend the very limited, the last week of his life with close friends and family. So he stopped his, uh, his program. <laughs> and I thought, wow, like, how do you live that way? And it really challenged me. How then shall we live if we do have a limited lifespan and we do know that time is short. So I want us to go over to a, a scripture in First Peter seven, uh, chapter four, rather, verse seven. Peter spent time with the Lord, and and a lot of what Peter writes is with an urgency. And he says this: the end of all things is near. Now, when he wrote this, it was two thousand years ago. So the first thing I scratch my head and I go, well, you missed it. Like, surely you missed it, Peter. Like, uh, 2,000 years is not near, not on my calendar anyway. The end of all things, we're still breathing, living. People are still talking about the end times and everything else. The end of all things is near, he says. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. He tells us that to live as if the end is at hand 
means you must be alert, you must be of sober mind, and of all things, lean into prayer. So how then shall we live? How, how will you live when you're about out of time? I notice that there are two times when believers in Jesus are very alert and very zealous for God, and one is when they first give their heart to the Lord. Usually a, a new Christian is incredible, like watching somebody that's just gotten saved, uh, perhaps baptized. It's just such a joy because they're going to they're gonna win the whole world. They're out there telling everybody about their faith. They've got this incredible zeal for God. But the second one is when somebody knows that their end is near. Now, this man, this doctor that was on the program that I watched uh, years and years ago, uh, he wasn't a believer. He never confessed anything about his faith or anything like that. But I have watched people that had similar things like cancer happen where they knew, I don't have much time. One of them, um, um, Tanya McKinney, Gail would know her. Uh, she was an incredible woman before she had terminal cancer and before she knew that the end was near for her. But man, when she found out that she was going to die short of, of a miracle, and she did, you know, continually believe for a healing, but she lived, if this doesn't happen, I'm going to go out in a blaze of glory. She was telling everybody about the Lord. And I, and I used to walk with her and her husband, Scott, and we were planting churches in uh, a place called uh, Del Rey in, in San Diego. We planted, you know, we were just on a mission, handing out tracts, witnessing to everybody. I was a new Christian. She wasn't. She had zeal to the point where you'd look at her and you go, man, I want to be like Tanya. I want to have that faith like Tanya does. But when Tanya knew that she only had a matter of months and then it turned into weeks and days, she dialed it up big time. I watch people that are new to the faith. They've got this incredible zeal. People that are on their exit strategy and they have this incredible passion and zeal. But the challenge is, is in the in-between. The challenge is when you don't know how much time you got. It seems to, this is just going to go on forever. I'm going to, we know we're not going to live forever, but we treat it as, as if we're going to live forever. Peter here says something, not knowing when God's actually going to come back, Jesus is coming back, and when the end is actually going to happen. But he says, the end of all things is near. And, and his life shifts in a way that he has this incredible passion. He goes from Peter who denies Jesus, from Peter who likes to fish and perhaps making a living is just going to go on and complacency sets into his heart and he knows the Lord, the Lord's crucified. Uh, he's kind of living in, in, a, in the doldrums as they call it and sailing and then something shifts when he sees the resurrected Lord and he knows Jesus is coming back. He has a passion and a zeal as if it's his last day. How do you live with the end in mind, especially when you don't know when the end is going to come for you? In Acts chapter 4, in verse 13, listen to this. Again, this has uh, uh, got Peter in it. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, 
when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, can people see the boldness? And you can put your name in there. Can people see faith and what you believe and the conviction and the reality in your life by looking at you? They saw the boldness. It wasn't just hidden. Oh, well, you know, it's just between me and God. Nobody knows. And I'm just not that kind of a person. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived they were uneducated and untrained men. If that's you and you don't have a theology degree, bravo. You're probably going to be more bold and courageous than somebody that does, that talks their way out of it through uh, their education. They marveled and they realized they had been with Jesus. It's time, church, this message is about getting your boldness back. We've got to get our boldness back. Preaching to myself, preaching to the choir, because it's so easy to get complacent and think that we've got all day. We've got who knows how much time. The most complacent time is in the middle. And most of us are in the middle when it comes to our faith. Now, Jesus comes uh, uh, and appears to John in the book of Revelation, which is known as a book of the end times, but it's actually a book of the revealing of Jesus Christ. If you read the past the introduction in chapter 1 and get into chapter 2, 3, and 4 uh, of Revelation, he appears to the churches, seven of them, uh, and, and he addresses these seven churches, candlesticks, he calls them uh, by name, Ephesus, Smyrna, Philadelphia, uh, Thyatira, uh, Laodicea. He, he mentions these churches by name, and, and he starts off, and I like this because Jesus uses the sandwich approach. He tells them what they're doing right. Hey, you know, you guys are, you, you're, you're standing up against heresy, the Nicolaitans or Nickelodeons or whatever they are. <laughs> I'm getting that confused. Uh, you know, you're standing up against false doctrine. You, you, you know, bravo. But then I got this against you, Laodicea. You've walked away from your first love. Some of the other church, you've, you've, you've kind of let the, the teachings of, of Jezebel uh, and Balaam, you've kind of let these teachings go by. You haven't stood up, spoken up, stood against. You've lost your boldness. He's encouraging them, but then he's reminding them, you got to get your bold back. You, City Church, you got to get your bold back. Ed Luther, you got to get your bold back. You can put your name in there. How, how do you get your bold back again? How do we live as if this whole scroll of time could be rolled up today? Could be the end. How do you live with the end in mind? Boldness is one of the ways. How, how do you get your bold back? How do you get the fire back into your, into your eyes? So he addresses these seven churches. And then he says this, in Revelation 5, 5. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See, John is weeping because he sees these scrolls with seven seals and nobody can open them. There's promises in there for all of us. There's, 
there's a future, there's a prophetic there that, that's written about your life, about this church. But nobody qualifies because we're all sinners, every one of us. We all know that when the accuser of the brethren starts to accuse, all of us with humility must put our hand up and go, guilty as charged. I'm not as bold as I could be in a lot of areas. Guilty as charged. Who's worthy to open the scrolls and to show what our future is and the potential that God has for you and, and, and how therefore to live? So John starts to weep. And then the angel says, Do not weep. See the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. I like the fact that Jesus is called the lion of the tribe of Judah. Bold men come from Judah. David came from Judah, the lineage. Solomon, his son, came from Judah. Traces it all the way down. Jesus has his lineage, his humanity from the tribe of Judah. But he's not just a relative way down, a, a distant relative of Judah. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He was born in frailty and humanity in a manger, but he didn't stay that way. It's not who he is. You're frail. You're human. You've got temptations, but you're not just human. You are a lion of the tribe of Judah. Lions are fierce and powerful. A lion is the king of the jungle, after all. Proverbs 28, 1 says this. It says, the wicked man flees, though no one pursues. In other words, afraid of your own shadow. But the righteous are as bold as a lion. Don't you love that? So why, when we're following a lion and we're born from that lineage, when you're born again of the lion of the tribe of Judah, why are so many followers pussycats? When we've got a lion <laughs> that we're following. We have a lion, a lion leader. But so many are pussycats, not confronting sin, not being bold, being lukewarm, being timid, fearful, worried about the end times. We become like caged lions. We're a lion, but, and we know that we're a lion. Theologically, we're a lion. But in reality, working that out, we're like a caged lion. I've, I, we went to Africa several years ago. I was supposed to go to uh, Sri Lanka and preach. Ended up the tsunami hit 2004, so we got diverted and uh, went to Africa. And I thought, cool, I'll take Africa because I want to go on a safari. And so we did. Uh, we, we drove our car through a, uh, a game park. It was amazing. They have the big five animals there, the elephant, the rhinoceros, uh, zebras, and all of these, you know, these, these lions, hippopotamuses. And, uh, but the one that we didn't see in the wild was the lion. Couldn't really see any lions. They were there. They said, don't get out of your car because there's lions in the scrub and they'll come and get you. And so sure enough, you know, we stopped the car and got out of the car. <laughs> but no lions, thank goodness. 
Um, you know, elephants standing there, like incredible experience. The only time we got to see a lion was in a pen, in a cage. I remember standing there at the fence with my son and we're rattling the cage, taunting the lion. Lion's looking at us like, fool, <laughs> what are you doing, fool? Don't you know who I am? I am the king of the jungle. Have you not seen the Lion King? <laughs> Do you not know? I could devour you. One swipe with my paw, you're gone, you're, head, you're headless. And, and, and looking at this lion taunting it, and all of a sudden the lion, without any notice at all, it got up and it charged the fence where myself and I think Mitch was 10 years old at the time or something like that, 12. It charges the fence and it roared. And it went through us, went through me like I've never heard anything like that. I've, I've heard planes taken off. I've been on locomotives. I've heard sirens and all kinds of noise, loud rock music, all the rest of it. Nothing went through me like that roar of that lion. And man, talk about heart failure. You know, we just turned and just ran for our lives, absolutely frightened because the king of the jungle had spoken up. Could have gotten through that fence, I'm sure. Uh, thank God he didn't. But I see a type of what we're supposed to be like, who I am and who I'm following and who you are and who you're following. Why have you lost your boldness and Jesus talks to these churches and he's speaking to this church today. And if you're not part of this church, but you're part of another church, he's speaking to you today. Get your boldness back. Get, get, your, get your life lined up as if this could all end tomorrow. How do you live with the end in mind? Be bold. Speak up. I think some of us through fear and perhaps pride, we become shy. We think, think it's just going to happen. Somebody else can share it. I don't know. We're timid. A lion's not timid. That's some other animal. A lion just isn't gracefully eating from the treetops like a, uh, a giraffe or something. A lion has a boldness about him. I even look at the cat family and when we were over in uh, the Philippines, we were at the pastor's uh, house out in the village having, having a meal. And they had like a, an old swimming pool that was empty in the back. It wasn't much of a swimming pool, but I heard all this commotion and went over to see it. And there's this cat stalking a cobra. You know a cobra? Like, you know what a cobra looks like? You know, and this cobra is there. And the cat is stalking. The cat has no fear at all. Except everybody's yelling to the cat. They're calling the cat by name. A little kitten, really, and say, stop, you know, kitty, quit. The kitty doesn't care. The kitty's going to go kill the cobra. And I said, will the cat win out? They said, no, the cobra is going to kill our cat. So they were able to get the cat away. But I thought, it's a cat of the cat family like the lion is of the cat family. It, even a little kitten has no fear about that cobra at all. I look at who we are and who we're following. And the boldness of Peter rises up in me. Be alert. Be sober. Pray. 
Lean into the situation. Lean into your day. Lean into opportunities. Get your bold back, church. That's this message is pretty simple this morning. We've got to get our bold back and quit being caged lions. And the things that shut the mouth of a lion like fear and pride and, and, and a regard for reputation. The Bible says this, that the devil goes about like, like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He's not a lion. He's a liar. Not a lion. He's not a lion. He's a liar. But he tries to appear to be a lion. So he roars out fear. He roars out, what if? What if you open your mouth? What if they don't like you? What are people going to think of you? Especially when I was younger, uh, I thought about that. Oh, I just don't want to share my faith because uh, my reputation, your reputation probably isn't that crash hot anyway, to be quite honest with you. I wouldn't be so worried about my reputation. I'd be, I'd be more concerned about pleasing God than pleasing people. I remember as a young man being uh, on my lunch break and one of the ladies, older woman that led me to the Lord, uh, Sue Spisak was her name. We were in the city. She, she said, let's have lunch together. I'll meet you down in the city. I worked in corporate America down the, in the middle of the city. So it was lunch break. Everybody's out on the lunch. Beautiful day. And she said, so, so how's things going? And I said, well, I'm having trouble sharing my faith in the office. We had an office, lots of people. I said, why is that? And I said, well, I'm just, you know, a little bit uh, afraid of what they're going to think of me. I open my mouth. Don't want to, I don't want these people to think I'm just a religious nod and da-da-da-da-da. And she goes, look at all these people walking past. You know, it's lunch break, suits and ties, middle of the San Diego. And she goes, where are all these people going to be in 50 years? So I did a quick uh, tally in my head. I said, most of them will be dead. And she said this to me. She said, what are you afraid of a bunch of dead people for? That's pretty well it. Pretty well all of those people, we're talking more than 50 years has passed since that conversation. <laughs> most of those people would be extremely old or dead. Why are you afraid of a bunch of dead people. Should we not be more afraid in a good way of the living God in whose hands we're going to fall into for eternity, not just time? Shouldn't we be a little more concerned about what God thinks, who God is, and what God says to do with your life than people's minds and opinions? Even fame is fleeting, wealth is fleeting, everything is temporal. Shouldn't we be a little more living with the end in mind as if perhaps he will show up today, tomorrow? The urgency of it all should consume us into a place of boldness to where I don't care what you think. I care where you're going to go more than what you think of me. I care more about you the urgency of sharing my faith like, like Tanya McKinney did as she was 
on her deathbed, even to her last breath, sharing with the nurses and the doctors and, and, and getting people saved was incredible, watching someone with that urgency toward the end of their life. Should we not be more, more uh, care more about that? How do you shut up a liar then? Because the liar is trying to tell you, don't do it. It's time that we don't listen to the liar, we listen to the lion. 1 Peter 5a is what I share with you, but 1 Peter 5a, be alert of sober mind. This is Peter again writing. Your enemy, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He lies about you. He lies about God. He lies about your situation. He lies about the church. His lies are loud and convincing. You don't need to go to church. You don't need to be part of that. You don't need to worship God, etc., etc., etc. Trying to get you into a, a, a place, trying to lull you into complacency. So how do you shut the mouth of a liar? You've got to speak up. Find out about what God says about your situation and speak up. Speak up with authority. Find out what the Word of God says and, and, and shut up the devil with it is written. That's what Jesus did. He said, it is written. It is written. It is written. It's time to believe who we really are. God's prized possession. Do you know that? You are God's prized possession. You are God's masterpiece. You're one of a kind creation. But the hardest thing about being many things is believing that you are those things. I found that the, one of the hardest things, and even to this day, about being a believer is to believe that you're a believer when your behavior doesn't line up. <laughs> oh, you think about it, you go, oh, you're a believer, okay, that's great. And then you lose your temper when you shouldn't. Or, or maybe you tell a little white lie. There is no such thing. It's either true or it's, it's a lie. And, and your behavior, it's not bold for God. It's timid. And, and you're not behaving like a lion. You're behaving like that pussycat. And your behavior tends to dictate your belief instead of the other way around. And to discover who you are in Christ, not an act, not just trying to line your behavior up with what you think is a, a religious code or set of rules, but when your behavior drops off the charts and you don't look like a Christian, sound, act like a Christian, the believability of it is what can get so many people aren't bold as a lion because they don't believe they're a lion. And to get your belief back, how, how then shall we live with the end in mind? Reinstill the fact that I am who God says I am. You are who God says you are. What the Bible says you are is who you are. It's not up for grabs. It's not based on your behavior. The fact is, if he says you're a lion, you're a lion. If you're a believer, you're going to make mistakes, of course. But be a believer in what? In God's forgiveness and God's ability to restore you to all righteousness. 
See, being a believer, you have to believe that you're a believer. And that's why we have to fight the good fight of faith to lay hold on eternal life. I don't know if you've ever doubted your salvation. I surely have. You don't behave right and the liar, not the lion, he whispers in your ear, you're not even saved. If you were saved, you wouldn't, you wouldn't be doing that. He's a liar. He's the father of lies. He's the author of lies. So you commit a sin or five. <laughs> it's hard. It's hard to believe that you're a lion. It's hard to believe. The hardest thing to believe that you're a believer is to believe you're a believer. Hardest thing. Your doubts cause you to doubt that you even believe. Don't fight a fight that Jesus has already won. Revelation, uh, Romans 6, 6 rather. For we know that our old self was crucified. Does that mean you're going to not make mistakes? No. Does it mean that these sins aren't, aren't dealt with already? No. We know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. You could be right and not be bold. You could even behave in a much higher level but still not be bold because you don't believe that you're righteous only in him. The fight is to, is, is to believe so someone that doesn't know that they are righteous in him will try to act righteous, but you can't consistently behave in a manner that's inconsistent with who you really are. You can't keep it up. So therefore, to be bold, you have to discover and refresh who you really are. And it says in uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, I think it is, or 17, it says, I am the righteousness of God. I'm not just forgiven. I am forgiven. I am not just somebody trying to behave in, in a particular behavior. But you are. Not going to be. You are. Your sin was, past tense, dealt with on the cross. You are the righteousness of God. How righteous is God? How perfect is God? How upright is God? You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You're not acting out something. It's not, a, it's not in your ability to act. It's not in your track record. The challenge is to believe I'm a believer when I don't act right. But I still am righteous before God. I'm, I am that you are the righteousness of God in Christ. The fight is to believe that. Trying to look a certain way, feel a certain way, have all the answers. It's not what it's about. Jesus didn't fight the hordes of hell to prove that he was right. He doesn't need to prove anything. But what he did do, he exchanged what is wrong with you with what is right with him. That's the great exchange. That's worth singing hallelujah. That's worth shouting about. The boldness to live right comes from believing right about what Jesus made right. How good is that? God gave me that. I thought, well, this is good. 
The boldness comes when you think right about Jesus. Your fight is to believe right about what Jesus made right. The righteousness of God. Isn't that good? Yeah, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. He made him who, who had no sin, that's Jesus, to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Isaiah 54, there's a lot of scriptures on this, just throwing out a few. Isaiah 54, 14, listen to this. In righteousness, that's your right standing with God. That's the uprightness that he gave you, even though your behavior isn't always upright. In righteousness, you will be established. Tyranny will be far from you. You will have nothing to fear. Terror will be removed. Oh, Pastor Ed, it's the end times. What's going to happen with the world? I don't know. But I can tell you this. Tyranny will be far from me. I'll have nothing to fear. Terror will be far removed. It will not come near you. Why? Because the best position that you can have in life is not your position based on your behavior. The best position that you can have in life, is, which is why we give an opportunity every meeting for this, the best position that you can have in life is in two words, in God or in Him. In Jesus is the best position that God gave you in life. How do you get your boldness back? Be in Him and remind yourself every day, I'm in Him. I'm not outside of Him based on my behavior, trying to be somebody that God has already made me to be righteous in Him. That righteousness, that right standing rises up when you believe that. See, there's two, two kinds of righteousness. One is self-righteous. Self-righteous man's never going to be bald because hardly a day goes by where you don't do something that's not pure, holy, and godly. Self-righteousness standing in your own track record is an act. You can act pious in front of people, but you know when your head hits the pillow at night, you go, man, like, that was not the best day to exemplify and model Jesus Christ. And you lose your boldness. When you're self-righteous, you can't be bold as a lion because you don't believe you're a lion. The other kind of righteousness is the righteousness of God. Perfect, upright, lion of the tribe of Judah. He says, that's who you are. Not self-righteous. I've given you my righteousness. I've exchanged. The great exchange happened on the cross. I've exchanged all your faults, all of your sin. I took it, nailed it to the cross, declared you not guilty, declared you the righteousness of God in me. Now, which are you going to believe? The lion or the liar? And that's the choice that we make in life, that we can be bold as a lion when we believe what the lion says, or we will be weak, emaciated, timid, not speak up, not tell people the truth, that they're perishing, that they need to be saved, that there is one greater than their reputation or whatever else that it is. I want to get my boldness back. How about you? Every day. 
And, and, and to get your boldness back, you have to believe that you're a believer. You have to believe that you're saved. You, who has believed this report, the Bible says? Who has believed? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? I wonder if that's you this morning. For in it you'll be established. Romans 5, 17. For if the trespass of one man, death reigned through that one, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life. See, your boldness is in your righteousness, and that was a gift. You did not earn that. A lion is born a lion. A lion cannot be changed. A giraffe's not going to turn into a lion. You have to be born into that family. And the bloodline of Jesus established it once and for all, you are part of that lineage, the line of the tribe of Judah. That's you. You are bold. You are a lion. Be a believer. Live as if the end was coming and step out. I believe that as we get a hold of this, and I could do a series. I probably won't, but it's begging. Oh, please pick me. Do a series on this. Uh, I, I believe that as we instill this into our own life through prayer, being alert, as Peter said, being sober-minded, and pray that as, as we do that, God will rise up on the inside of us so that like that line that we saw at the, th at the game park in the, in the cage, that when the devil taunts you like we were taunting the lion, rattle, 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 something of a roar, going to come up a boldness out of the inside of you that could change this world, can change your world. I'm not talking about boldness being rudeness and obnoxious and sarcastic in people's faces. I'm not talking about that at all. The fruit of the Spirit still reigns, but the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, gentleness, kindness, meekness, long, so all of these things are incredibly bold things. You don't have to, in bold, you're not, you don't have to be an idiot and be uh, impolite. You can be a perfect gentleman if you're a man. You can be a lady and powerful and bold because you know who you are. Amen. You know that you are a lion or lioness of the tribe of Judah. Oh, amen. Come on, somebody. So in closing, in closing, I've got one scripture. It's 1 John 1, 9. Because you say to me, and I'd like the worship team to come up, thanks. You say, what do I do when I act unrighteously? Have I lost my salvation? What about sin? It's a great question. It says those who practice such things, talking about sin, shall not inherit the kingdom of God. I go golfing once every five years. I am what is known as a hack. Do you have a handicap, Pastor Ed? Yeah, my handicap is I don't play golf. But I would like to sometimes, not enough to go out and hit the ball at the driving range. But when I've been out there at the driving range with people that can golf, I tee it up. I go to hit the ball and I miss, but then I pretend like that was just a practice swing. 
didn't really, I wasn't trying to hit it. Just warming it up, warming it up. It's like, try it again. Miss the ball again. Warm it up. Just a practice swing. But here's the thing. I'm practicing golf. I'm practicing to get better. Not to get worse. To get better. Am I going to hit some bad shots? Of course. Because <laughs> I'm practicing to get better. Those who practice unrighteousness shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Because what are they doing? They're practicing being bad, if you will. They're practicing being unrighteous. They're going to do some good things every now and then, like I'm going to hit the ball straight and high and every now and then. But most of the time it's going to slice. But I'm practicing. I'm practicing. If your motivation is to practice lawlessness... You're going to do some good things every now and then, probably do a good deed or whatever, but your, your motivation, your direction is in the wrong direction. You're never going to be bald doing that. But if your motivation is to practice righteousness, you're going to do some bad things every now and then. You're going to have some bad shots. But your motivation is uprightness to be like Jesus. So you're here in... You, you know, you're not, I'm just not a good person. What's your motivation? Is it to follow him? Well, of course you're going to sin. If you say you don't sin, then you're a liar, it says. But, but your motivation of your heart, if it's to follow Jesus and be upright, God knows that. He'll coach you through it all. He'll tell you, just turn and repent. Get a different posture in life. So if you're here, 1 John 1, 9 says this. If we confess our sins, that's the times we miss the mark. Hamarte is the Greek word. He is faithful. See, it's about him, not you. And just, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from, and here it is, all unrighteousness, every bad shot every time you don't hit it straight. If you confess your sin, don't deny it. You don't have to cover it up. You don't have to pretend like it was just a practice swing. You, you, you muffed it. He is faithful. It's about him being faithful. And just and will forgive you from your sin and purify you from all, all unrighteousness. You can be bold as a lion because you are a lion. Even if you do mess it up, the motivation is what counts. God knows that. His solution is, well, confess it and repent. And let's get on with it. Let's get that, let's get the elbow down, the wrist straight or whatever it is. Let's get some good shots happening. You know, get your backswing go. Come on. God is for you. He's faithful. Amen. So I want to pray for all of us. And if you're watching on uh, YouTube, please subscribe to our YouTube channel, by the way. So more people can uh, hear these messages and follow Jesus and get their, their lives right. So I appreciate you sharing this to get the word out there. Father, I thank you right now for everyone here. For those that are not yet following Jesus Christ, you're not of the line of the tribe of Judah. 
I invite you to step across the line and ask Jesus Christ into your heart. Give your heart to him. Let him make you his righteousness. If that's you and you're here right now or watching online, I'd like you to pray this prayer with me. Just mean it in your heart. Confess with your mouth. You will be saved. Say this after me. God, thank you for your son, Jesus. I give you my life. Amen. And amen. Thank you for listening to the City Church Podcast. If you enjoyed this message or God worked through you in any way, then please take a moment to contact us through our website at city-church.net or email us your feedback at info at city-church.net.